Amen. Well, take your Bibles this morning and go with us to Mark chapter 10. If you're a guest with us today, we are going through this gospel verse by verse, and we have made it to chapter 10, and we're going to be in verse number 13 today. And uh, those of you who have been with us, you will remember that Jesus is still in the process of teaching the disciples and all those that are, are gathered around how different the kingdom of God is from the kingdom that Judaism had presented to them for many years. And he has been teaching them a series of lessons. He has taught them about humility. He has taught them about the seriousness of sin. He has taught them about the reality of hell. And last Sunday night, we looked at the, the passage just before this where he talks to them about the gravity of divorce. And let me just say that I would encourage you, if you weren't here on this past Sunday night, to uh, go back to either our Facebook page or our YouTube page and to, to watch that needed sermon uh, in, in our culture today. And today we come to a, a text about the children, as you just saw, and we have some of our children from our church that are going to help us today uh, with part of the, the scripture of reading. And, and, and so today as we come to this passage of scripture, it is a familiar passage to many of us, but so many times we miss the real principles that are emphasized in this story. And so I want you to stay tuned in and, and stay, um, stay with us this morning as we, we walk through this. But our children are going to lead us in the, the scripture reading this morning. Please stand for the reading of God's word. And they brought young children to them that he should touch them. <clears throat> and his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms, put his hands upon them, and blessed them. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's give him a hand. Remain standing, remain standing, let's pray together. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Messiah, our Savior, our Lord. And we come to you now with your word open before us, Lord, and our hearts are prepared to hear from you this morning from your word. So I pray, Lord, that you would help us by your spirit this morning to hear without distraction, to listen to what you have to say to us individually this morning to speak to our hearts, and Lord, help us to be obedient to whatever it is that you speak to us about. And then we pray, Father, for any here today who may not know um, if they were to die today, where they would spend eternity. We pray, Lord, that they would come today in repentance and faith and simply put their faith and trust in you as a child. And Lord, we, we thank you for the simplicity of the gospel and Lord, we pray that you would just open our hearts and minds to your word again today. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You may be seated. As we've been going through this study, I've mentioned to you kind of the, the travels of Jesus. And if you'll take your sermon guide, which is in your bulletin, you'll flip on the back. There's actually a map there. And I kind of want you to see where Jesus has started from and where he is going. You see the Mediterranean Sea there on the left side of your map. And then 
and the green right uh, beside that is Galilee. And that is where Jesus began and started most of his earthly ministry up until chapter 9. That is where Jesus is ministering. You see the small Sea of Galilee right beside that. And if you ever go over there, this is one of the most beautiful places that you can you will ever see in your life. But you see that Jesus is started in Galilee, but he is going down and and you see Jerusalem down there uh, just above Judea. If you, you see Hebron and Bethlehem and then Jerusalem. This is, of course, where Jesus is going to end Mark's gospel when he is going to die on the cross for our sins. He is going to rise victorious over the grave. But right now, where we are in Mark chapter 10, we are in this little area just above that called Perea. So he has started in Galilee, but he's making his way to Jerusalem. And now he is in this little area of Perea. And as I mentioned last Sunday night, this is, this is key to understanding that this is where King Herod was in rule in this little area. And we talked about this last week, but you remember that, that King Herod had, uh, had, had left his wife, divorced his wife, and, and wanted to marry his brother's wife. And so uh, when he did that, of course, John the Baptist confronted him about that, and if you know the story... Uh, he had John the Baptist arrested and eventually beheaded. And so it's no coincidence that here in this region, the Pharisees again are, are, are asking Jesus in the first 10 verses about his view of divorce. But as we come to this section this morning, uh, I, I want to just break it up into three simple statements, three simple sections. First of all, the situation at hand, kind of give you the setting and then give you the instruction from Jesus and then the, the simple application to us. But, so a very simple outline this morning. First of all, I want you to see the situation at hand. And we see this in verses 13 in the first part of verse number 14. It says, they brought, they brought young children to Jesus, that he should touch them, that he should bless them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased. All right, so Mark is simply laying out for us the setting as we just saw demonstrated in the video. And it simply sets the scene and introduces us to the people that are involved in the story. We assume that the people that are bringing the children to Jesus are probably the parents of the children. They're certainly adults. And then we see the disciples and their response to it. And then we see Jesus and his response to them. So first of all, I want you to see under this the adult's desire. And it is a noble and a good desire. And I think that it is something that we need to learn and we need to understand that, listen, the children, the children that you saw up here this morning stand and read the Word of God, they are not just the church of tomorrow, they are a part of the church of today. They are a vital part of our church and what God is doing here. And so we see that this is a, a good desire, it is a noble desire, and it's something that we ought to have uh, as a desire in our, in our life as parents, in our life as a church. When I see this and I read about this, automatically my mind goes back to uh, the day and age in which we live, this time of year, especially after Thanksgiving, when you walk into malls and you see parents who have dressed their children up and they are going to make their annual yearly visit to to Santa Claus, to stand in line and to see Santa Claus and to have their picture taken with Santa Claus. And 
course, we have some humorous photos when our kids were very young, when they were absolutely scared to death and wanted nothing to do with Santa Claus. But when you, when you think about what is going on here, perhaps that is the image that you, you get. But as you read this, and of course, as Christians, we think how much more eager we should be to bring our children to that one who Christmas meaning is all about. To, to the one who can do something for them eternally. I, I see it again when we go to ball games and we go into stadiums and we see these parents who are, are bringing their children to maybe their first college football game or first NFL game and there's such excitement there. And, and then they come into Sunday school or, or church on Sunday and, and they're not as near as happy to be there as they are at the football game. But the reality is, is that we have some very misplaced priorities, don't we? That we don't see clearly that the one who was born in Bethlehem, the one who was once a little boy, the one who went through all the stages of growing up, and the, the one alone who can truly satisfy the needs and wants of this world's children is none other than Jesus Christ himself. And he is the one that we need to be bringing our children to. And so the parents or the adults in this story, they, they gather their children. And they know that there's something different, Brother Jason, about this rabbi than the other rabbi. They've heard the stories and they've seen what he can do. And so they want to get their children into the presence of Jesus. I think that as a church, it's important for us to remember and to invest in our young people and to our, our youth. And that's why we place such an emphasis there. That's why we invest so much there. Uh, and may it always be that the hallways and the gym, uh, I was just talking to somebody yesterday, there were people here using the gym, and I said every day this week there have been children running in this gym, and, and ever so often we have to repaint and we have to clean up every single day because children are all over this campus, and if you're not careful, you'll say, man, we could really have some nice things if it wasn't for the children. No, we need to keep these halls busy and moving with children. They are our future. They're our future. We need to be pouring into them. And right now, as parents, it is the most important years of, of their life. And as parents, you have been given such a great stewardship in these years to be planting the Word of God into their hearts and their minds. And, and that's why I continue to say to you as parents, take the time right now to, to get the Word of God in their hearts and in their minds. The scripture that I remember to this day as an adult, about 90% or more of it was scripture that I learned on a Wednesday night in Awanas or on a Sunday morning in a Sunday school class or in a Sunday morning children's church. And it's important for us to continue to, to bring our children to Jesus, to keep them around the word of God. These are crucial years and I can give testimony, Kim and I, that they pass so quickly. It just seems like yesterday they were young and in their Sunday school classes and we were, our Sunday mornings were crazy and now our Sunday mornings are calm. And sometimes it's kind of sad that it's so calm. But these years come and they go very quickly. And trust me, parents, listen, before you... Before you question whether you need to bring them on a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning or early for Sunday school, 
I want you to think ahead 20 years from now. And first of all, I want you to look at the world in which we live in right now. And then I want you to look at possibly what the world is going to look like in 20 years. And if you think that we are experiencing spiritual warfare right now, just wait till what your children have to experience in spiritual warfare in 20 years. How many of you would say they need as much of the word of God as they can get? Thy word, the psalmist said, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. It's a light into their path. And so make it a priority. We see the adult's desire, but secondly, in contrast to that, we see the disciples' denial. They rebuked and they turn away these adults that were trying to interrupt Jesus with these annoying little children. And the the disciples turn into more of Jesus' bodyguards than they are servants. And, and, And so doing that, they become barriers to people getting to children rather than Bridge, I'm sorry, barriers of people getting to Jesus rather than bridges of people getting to Jesus. And this has become their pattern. You remember in chapter number 8, Jesus, again, he had explained to them the nature of his suffering and that he was, was going to go to Jer- Jerusalem and Peter had taken him aside when he told him that he was going to die and Peter had rebuked him saying, Jesus, we don't want you to go to Jerusalem. We don't want our Messiah to die on the cross. And in response to that, just like here, Jesus had rebuked him sharply and said to him, in essence, Peter, the problem here is that you don't have in mind the same things that God has in mind. You're thinking on an earthly level. You're not thinking on an eternal level. You're not looking through the eyes of God. And here the adults are coming asking if Jesus will bless their children. And the disciples say, no, just get the children out of here. Get it quieter. Jesus has things to do. He has more important things to do than to deal with the children. Let me ask you this morning, whose attitude do we most possess? The attitude of the parents or the adults trying to get the children to Jesus or the disciples trying to keep them from Jesus? Do we act as a bridge to getting them to Jesus or a barrier keeping them from Jesus? And these guys, these disciples have have an ego issue and they are having a hard time with God, with Jesus, redefining what spiritual leadership looks like after growing up in, uh, under Judaism and under the man-made religion and emphasis there. And we see the adults' desire. We see the disciples' denial. And then thirdly, we see Jesus' displeasure. He is not happy. He is, um, he is expressing his righteous indignation. And it says in our text that he was very displeased. And maybe in our society, that doesn't really give us a good idea because he was more than just a little bit upset. He was angry, indignant at the disciples for their response to this. It's the same word that Jesus used when he rebuked Peter and told him, Get thee behind me, Satan. And we will see why Jesus is so upset as we get into the heart of the text. Again, this account is its often... And don't miss this, it's not just a moralistic teaching on how we are to treat children. Here is how perhaps a social gospel church would teach this, and that is that the parents are coming looking for Jesus to bless their children, and that's good. And the disciples are trying to protect Jesus, and they don't want the children to come to Jesus, and that's bad. But Jesus 
welcomes the little children to come into him, and he's really nice to the children, and we should be really nice to the children as well. And that's kind of where the story ends. But there is much more in this story than just being nice to children and welcoming children into the presence of God. What the Bible is saying here is that the central teaching, the central theme, the main reason that Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record this is why is Jesus angry? Listen, if Jesus is angry, do we need to know why he's angry? All right, so this isn't just a cute little story about getting children to Jesus and being nice to, to, to kind, cute, good children. And those of us who are parents might say they're cute, but they're not always good, right? It's, there's more to it than this. And Jesus has an, a, point, a point that he's going to make, and it is this, that what it takes to enter the kingdom of God is different than what you think. It takes to enter the kingdom of God. We see the instruction from Jesus in verses 14 and 15. Notice Jesus now begins to speak. The setting has been laid out for us. We understand the setting, but now Jesus begins to speak. And he said unto them, what's he say? Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not. For of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. Let me encourage you to mark those three words in your Bible. For of such. For of such, he says, is the kingdom of God. He doesn't say that the kingdom of God belongs to the children, but that the kingdom of God belongs to such as the children. To those who come in the same way that the children can't come. And then he says to them, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God. How? As a child, he shall not enter therein. Jesus says, the kingdom of God belongs to people like this. People like what? People like what? What are the children like? What he is not saying is that, is that we need to come like good, cute little children to Jesus. That's not the image that he is giving here. What he is saying is that children are needy, that children are helpless, that children are dependent, that children come with no status in their society, and they just come in simple faith to Jesus Christ. They can't pay their way. They bring nothing to the table, so to speak. And Jesus says, unless you come in that humility, and unless you come realizing that you bring nothing to the table and simply accept the gift of salvation that has been presented to you, then you cannot have eternal life. You can't go into the kingdom. A child has no problem receiving a gift. Have you ever noticed this, that the older you get, sometimes you get a little bit more prideful and you don't, you're not as receiving as gifts. And some of you are like, no, I'm totally, give me the gifts, bring them on. Us men can be that way. But, you know, children are always accepting of the gifts. But what he is saying here is that we must come in childlike faith and that we can't add anything to the work that Jesus Christ did for us for salvation on the cross. It is the very littleness, it is the very helplessness, it is the neediness of children that he is bringing into focus here. And here is the two, the two basic instructions that he is giving. The kingdom of God is for the helpless and dependent. These children were completely 
dependent upon Jesus Christ. They were completely dependent upon their parents all through their life. They were not able to provide, to to bring resources into the home. And, And so Jesus is giving us an example. Unless you come in this simple, humble state, you cannot have the kingdom of God. And then secondly is that salvation cannot be earned by our status or our good works but it must be received as a child receives an undeserved gift. We can't attempt to earn it as a a reward. We simply have to, in humility, accept the gift that has already been purchased for us. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus Christ was that gift. Jesus paid the price in full, and we can't add to the price that has already been paid in full. Jesus is saying if you come to terms with the nature of what it means to be a child, the only way that you will ever be in the kingdom of heaven is a result of accepting it. And you may be here this morning and you say, I'm I'm trying to figure all this out and I'm trying to read as much as I can and I'm trying to understand all that I can and one of these days I'm going to come after I get enough wisdom I'm going to come to a decision. Jesus is speaking to you this morning. He's simply saying this, that until you come and realize that you're a sinner and that you are helpless and that you can't save yourselves and you can't add religion and you can't add good works. All you can do is accept the gift that has already been given to you in the person of Jesus Christ. You cannot come into the kingdom of God. And that salvation is that simple. That's what he wants us to understand. You don't have to have it all figured out. You simply have to believe that this is the word of God and what it says is true. And when it says that Jesus died on the cross for our sin and rose victorious over the grave, that's what I'm putting my faith in for eternity for the kingdom of God. And he will save you, he says. By the time that Paul is writing his own letter to the church at Rome, which is Romans in our in our Bible, he, he establishes the contrast between sin, which pays wages, and the gift of forgiveness and eternal life in Jesus, which is actually not earned as a wage, but is received as a gift. And he puts it like this, Romans 6.23, For the wages of our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This notion of accepting rather than achieving is a stumbling block to all those who have to have it all figured out. And and those of us who allow pride to stand in the way of us accepting what he has done for us. We're not going to get into it this morning because it's for the next time that we're together. But if you go on down into verse number 17 of this same chapter, there is a story there of a rich young man with status and importance and a sense of pride and sufficiency in himself. And if anybody has it all together, this man has it all together. If anybody can afford to to pay for it, this man can afford to pay for it. And he says... Good master, what must I do, notice, to inherit eternal life or the kingdom of God? Tell me what I need to do. And listen, that's always the question of religion. What do I need to do? What do I need to do? 
And the truth is you can't do anything except accept it because it's already been done for you. What do I need to do? The good news that Jesus was proclaiming was not good news that tells us what we need to do, but it tells us what Jesus came to do and what he did do for us on the cross. And when he was on the cross and he said, it is finished, he wasn't saying, I am finished. He is saying, the work is finished. The work is done. It is paid in full. It is complete. Nothing needs to be added to it. And the story of Christianity is not the story of mine and your attempt to try and penetrate the barriers of God's greatness and God's glory. But it is the story of a God who came into our world and penetrated our world in the person of Jesus Christ and lived a sinless life and died a sacrificial death for us on the cross and rose victorious over the grave so that we can have eternal life it's about him coming into our world and him paying the price for us that he took on humanity in that Bethlehem scene it's no surprise then that he says brother David that the entry into the kingdom of God would be an entry to be enjoyed by those who come as little children remember John chapter 3 Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he has he has all the religious status He is a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He has all the credentials only to discover that he could not enter into the kingdom of God with all of his credentials and all of his religion that he had to set all of that aside. And Jesus simply tells him, Nicodemus, you must be, here's another child terminology, you must be what? Born again. You must be born again. If you are not born again, if you do not accept What I've done on the cross for you, you continue to try to work your way into heaven. You will die a religious man and spend an eternity in hell unless you come to faith in Jesus Christ. Instead of these things being bridges that get us to you you may think that your religion is a bridge that's going to get you to Jesus or or your good works are a bridge that's going to get you to Jesus listen they're not a bridge that's going to get you to Jesus the cross was the bridge that gets you to Jesus those things are simply barriers to keep you from getting to Jesus so set them aside and trust him and him alone. And then lastly this morning is the application for us. We see the situation that is at hand. We see the instruction from Jesus. And now we see the application for us. And it humbles the pride of all for whom status or religion is the issue. And as a result of that status, we refuse to bow the knee to any other king. We refuse to surrender Much like King Herod, who when the news was out that a king had been born in Bethlehem of Judea, the Bible says that he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. Why? Because he didn't want any other king but himself. He didn't want anyone else to rule his life. And by nature, you and I are the same way. In our sin nature, we're the same way. We don't want anybody to come and to rule and to reign our lives or to to rule over our marriage or our finances or our decisions in life. We're proud of what we've done. And the point of this whole account that we're reading this morning, these four simple verses that the children read to us, 
Is Jesus basically, in essence, saying this? There is no possibility of you ever entering the kingdom in all of its finality unless you receive it in the weakness and the helplessness and the humility and the dependency that is represented in one of these little children. Can't come to me any other way. And in essence, this morning, there are three types of people here. In our sanctuary, there are those who by grace through faith are welcomed into this forgiven kingdom because they came as a child, realizing they can bring nothing to the table, but they simply put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And then there are those who stand away from it because we're too proud to receive the gift. I'll figure it out. I'll work my way there. But I've got to have some kind of action in this thing. Or there's those who don't believe that anyone could ever give them such a gift. After all they've done, there's no way. You don't, you don't know what I've done. You, you don't know my life. I understand that Jesus would offer this gift to some, but not to somebody like me. And with that in mind, I want to close by bringing you to a scene at the very cross of Jesus, which we will see in a few weeks, months, maybe years, the way we're going. As we get into the last part of Mark, we will see that Jesus is on the cross and there are two thieves on each side of him. And there's a conversation that happens there on that cross and One of the thieves says to the others, we shouldn't be saying all these bad things about this man in the middle. We're up here hanging and dying because we deserve it. Our works have put us up here, but he's done nothing. And then you remember that that thief prayed this prayer. He said, Lord, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? Now listen, Jesus didn't tell that man, no, I'm sorry. If you could get off of this cross somehow, live a few more years, start doing some religious things, start letting your good works outweigh your bad works, then there's a chance. I might be able to get you in the back of the line, no way near the front of the line, but there's a chance I may be able to get you in somehow if you could do that. No, that's not what Jesus said. In fact, Jesus said... You can't do anything. You know what? In just a few moments, you're going to die. And the only thing that you can do is like a helpless child who has nothing to bring to the table, simply put your faith in me. And Jesus says, if you will do that today, you will be with me in paradise. Because there's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can add to it. Oh, that hits our pride right in the heart. But the whole point of this story is, hey, it's not we need to be nice to all the cute little children and we need to let them come in. Certainly we, we need to have the attitude that Jesus has towards them. But that's not the point. The point of the story is unless you come realizing you are a sinner... And that the wages of your sin is death and hell eternally. 
and that you are helpless and can't do anything about that, but simply to come as a child to Jesus and put your faith in him as a child, then you cannot enter the kingdom of God. You can keep trying and trying, but you're digging a further, a deeper and deeper hole until you finally surrender your life and say, I'm coming to Jesus in simple faith and putting my trust in him. He had nothing, that thief on the cross, he had nothing to bring but simple childlike faith. And today God's invitation is still open. We don't know how long it will, will be open. There's coming a day where it won't be open anymore. There's coming a day when Jesus is going to come back and the space of grace is going to be over and you're no longer going to have a chance. But thank God for this moment, for, for today, for right now, you have that opportunity. And that's why every Sunday we ask, if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, to do so today. Because we're not promised another day.